black ball. Black, black, black ball. What's up, everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Blackballed. If you've been following the show over the last little while, obviously we've been focusing on one major issue. It's an issue that touches several countries. It's an issue that touches politics. It's an issue that touches humanity in a lot of ways. And most of the time that we spend speaking to ex-members of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, we are often talking about harrowing stories. Uh, stories of, you know, family separation, stories of abuse, stories of isolation. And, you know, it is a, it's a hard road to sort of navigate sometimes because I don't want to bombard everybody with all of the darkest stories, but those stories have to be told. But there's other stories that have to be told too. Um, it is a little bit unusual sometimes for an entire family to leave the Plymouth Brethren and you know, it's interesting to see the difference between people's lives. Uh, if you if you had sort of a, a nightmarish experience trying to leave, or if you had sort of like the support system of your family all being on the same page. And our guest today, I would say, falls into that latter ladder category. And her name is Jackie Hart. And Jackie, welcome to Blackwald. How are you? Good morning, afternoon. Thank you. Yes, I'm fine. Yes. Thank you. Yourself. This is my first 9 a.m. podcast, and uh, as I was saying to you before the show started, I have a potential volatile situation happening downstairs. I can hear things sometimes where my eight and six-year-old, I thought it was a good idea to put them in, I called it theater mode, bedroom yeah. theater mode. We'll put the laptop on the bed, we'll stick it on a thing, you guys can have snacks, and you guys just watch something, they agreed on everything, and then just like 10 minutes ago, it was just fireworks, so oh, if I have to leave, I'll promise to put the mute button on so you can't hear me yell at my children but, all interruptions welcome yeah right. <laughs> so the unusual part of your story as far as i can tell mm. one of them anyways is that when you left you had a family with you that left with you i did how can you because you know a lot of the ex-members we'll get to that mm. in a second how mm. is that different from you know i what was what was the positive aspect about leaving with your family and not having to sort of traverse these new waters by yourself? Yeah, I I think the impact of leaving would possibly be slightly less in that I had my parents and I only, I had one of my two brothers, one brother stayed in, so the majority of my family left. So I know a lot of ex-members, I know a lot of ex-members' stories, and I do consider that my personal story, although it was incredibly difficult leaving, the adjustment to a world, as most people know, it is always difficult. I was more supported. Um, I was in a position where I had the immediate family home. I didn't have to pack my bags and leave. And I also had a stable work situation at the time because I was working for non-brethren. And I think it was those two things that made the transition perhaps easier for me than a lot of others. What is it like to leave without leaving where you live? Like, what does that well, entail? <laughs> that was actually quite peculiar because um, we had 
a reasonably nice house, but we actually had a small brethren meeting hall at the bottom of our garden. So my parents actually did have to sell the house. Um, we had to sell it to brethren because we had that. So we were in a rather peculiar situation of being shut up. I believe you're familiar with those terms. I still can't get over the fact that they actually named something shutting up. Shut up. Just, <laughs> yeah, we yeah. weren't even allowed to say that when we were kids. You know? No, it, it, it's, it's an expression I grew up with, as did many ex-brethren. Mm. It was a normal uh, do you have like a ref Do you have like a reflex when you hear someone else being like, oh, shut up. Are you, you like this because you're- <laughs> yeah. you know, It has different me. connotations for yeah. sure. For sure so yeah we're in a position where we're shut up and not allowed to go to meetings but we could actually sit and watch the brethren go to the meeting in the small hall at the bottom of our garden uh which was rather peculiar for a while um but with so they owned that piece is that yeah, what it so, yeah so when my parents bought the house when i was quite small they sold it had a bit of land and they sold a bit of the land for the brethren to build a small meeting room so we had you know them there which was quite peculiar um but it wasn't too long before we sold the house and my parents mm. moved uh, for that reason. Yeah, that would have been really strange yeah. to have to see. Yeah, well, like, did you ever sip tea and just look at them and wonder, no. wonder if they well, look up? When I first met, oh, confession time now, when I first met my husband, who's also ex-president but had left a few years before me, we still had a key to the meeting room. So while we were shut up and he obviously wasn't in the Brethren, we uh, unlocked the door and went in there just for old time's sake. Oh, and wow. then locked the door and went out again. <laughs> we had to hand the key back shortly after that. So that was quite yeah, um, so, that, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no. So, so yeah, I, I think my personal story is certainly not as harrowing as some. I wouldn't belittle it, but it, it, it's not as how I haven't had to say goodbye to children, to parents, mm. to siblings, like a lot of my friends have. Yeah. And that, it makes me feel that that may have put you in a really unique position, um, and which played out in how you helped other people leave the yeah. Brethren. Um, explain yeah. that to me because I was really fascinated about that. It made me feel like you were like a like a Robin Hood, but stealing people <laughs> to give them back to the real world. You know? We we try. Um, it's yeah, I would say for many years after I left, it was very much a chapter of my life that I closed off mentally. Um, I got on with life. I had a job. I met and married my husband. I had children of my own, and probably for the best part of 20, 25 years. I shut it out. And then um, we had a, an, a sort of a, a trigger incident that I, I, I suppose I call it having read into this a little bit, a little bit survivor's guilt. I'd done okay. I'd been very, very fortunate. And you realize there's others whose background I understand 100% because I came from the same background who have not been as fortunate. And you do have a sort of, well, if I can help, I want to help because I understand where they're coming from. Yeah, it, it, I, I think it's great. I think it's like, it, you know, it's one of those stories that you, you you look at and you're just like, you know, this person is a saint. Like she's, you know, I don't know. <laughs> no, you're, you're, no. Yeah, no, you're, 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 you're humility. Very kind of you, James. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I mean, it, yeah. there's a lot of people that wish they had someone to help them leave. There's a lot of people that don't leave because, and yeah. they want to for, for decades. Yeah. Yeah. And um, okay, so I want to move on a little bit because I, mm. there was something that you had sent me. Um, and I'm going to start with the latest. Uh, mm. I guess it's a report. Yes. It would be the coercive control in cultic groups in the United Kingdom. Now, this is yeah. brand new. This is just came out like uh, a month ago. Yeah. And the 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 sort of aspect that I thought was interesting um, was many. It goes with this one, right? Yep. Oh yep. no, that's the Charities Act one. Oh, the Charities Act. No, no, yeah. This is what, yeah, okay. So this is the table of contents of the course of, sorry, I'm going to get that title back on. So I didn't go. So the course of control in cultic groups in the United Kingdom. And 
I'm reading the, t- the, t- the contents and I'm finding it to be very interesting because it is exactly like how ex members describe the cult. So this is like describing um, what it would like, what organizations need to be considered a cult. Is that basically it? Yes, that's fine. And if yeah, go ahead. So this, this report came off the back of um, laws in the UK that were introduced in 2015. And these laws made coercive control in a personal relationship a criminal offence. Now, most countries have physical um, abuse of some description, a criminal offence. But to have coercive abuse has been a criminal offence in, in, in a close relationship was something new. And they actually defined within the law exactly what coercion they meant and it would be things like if one partner was not allowing a partner to see friends they wanted was telling them what to wear was telling them when they could go and go out was telling them where they could work controlled their finances so effectively all the things that cultic groups and the brethren do do and they have had prosecutions it's been um, people have been jailed for it people have had suspended criminal uh, convictions for it what this report has focused on is getting evidence of ex-members of group of which some of the evidence was from ex-brethren but there were other groups as well to show that that pattern of behavior can have happen in group control as well and they're yeah. calling for a change in the law so that it's not just in a personal relationship i.e a parent child relationship or between partners but also in a group and a person relationship and they're calling for that change to extend the law to uh, you know to, to to effectively hold groups like the brethren to account yeah it, that is a much needed you know mm. piece of legislation in in various countries because yeah. it's one of those things like it, it collides with and i don't actually know what the freedom of expression and freedom of religion laws are like in the uk um, but in Canada, it feels like the shield that uh, organizations like the Brethren use are the freedom of expression and religion laws. And I'm always sitting there wondering, you know, where's the limit? Because yeah. free speech has limit, right? That you can't yell mm-hmm. fire in a crowded theater. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't utter violent death threats and things like that. Mm-hmm. So everything has sort of a limit. But except for the freedom of religion, I mean, obviously there are exceptions. Like you can't just like, you know, blow people up because of your religious beliefs. But when you talk about things that aren't physical violence, there's nothing left. Like there's no. nothing to protect people from predatorial cults, you know, from, no. and especially when they, they have a financial motivation, it feels like they should be on the, you know, on the hot seat for a lot of, you know, a lot of the things that they do. And, you know, how do a lot of people in the UK, you might not know the answer to this, but I'm just curious. Yes. Do When they put out the coercive control in personal relationships, mm-hmm. was there a spike? Like, was there any test cases that came forward or were there any cases? Or There, there have definitely been cases. I think the first one was actually publicized in the press uh, sort of later, 2015, 2016. And it was a personal relationship between a man and a woman where the man was very coercively controlling. And there have been several cases since. There was one case that I read about uh, where a father was trying to control his daughters and they were in their 20s and they wanted a free life and he wasn't allowing them to have a free life. But there, obviously, because of the way the law works, there's been no cases where a group has controlled. It always has to be within a a close personal relationship. Um, So there's definitely, there's precedent set whereby convictions have been made. And what the report focuses on in its conclusions is the behavior of coercive control is the same whether it's a person doing it or whether it's a group doing it 
And you're quite right about the freedom of religion. Um, I, I think you've mentioned on past podcasts about how the media and politicians in most countries are very reluctant to get involved where religions revolt, involved because there's the religious persecution, religious minority persecution. Um, but that actually almost gives a lot of these groups a carte blanche for indulging in the coercive control. Um, yeah, part of it should probably be, I think you, you might have heard me say this on a past podcast mm. as well. If you claim that you have a present day deity living among us, that person should have to go to a court and prove that they are a present day deity in order for anything to be absolved, in order for that organization to be absolved of anything. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I don't know why we don't have the uh, fortitude. And when I say we, I mean the royal we and all. Yeah, it yeah. seems like Commonwealth countries especially need to figure out a way to sort of bridge that gap. But, okay, so then we so i want to go back to the table of contents because this yes. is just so for the people that are listening and not watching the contents of this report that they're talking about um the course of control and cultic groups in the united mm. kingdom and it just reads like a handbook this could be a handbook for brethren elders mm. right so yes. yeah. you know you have things like isolation and engulfment shunning a social mm. control mechanism, enforcement of rules, monitoring, surveillance, abuse of power and authority, emotional abuse, financial abuse, deprivation, control of intimate family and close relationships, sexual mm -hmm. abuse, physical abuse of adults and children, and the challenges upon leaving. I, now, I, 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 know, I, I would say that other than maybe Michael Bachelard, who wrote a book, mm. um, who wrote this book, actually, uh, mm. Behind the Exclusive Brethren, I would hazard a guess that I might be at least second place on the planet of interviewing and talking to ex-members in a media um, setting. And that table of contents reads like exactly what they have all gone through or many of them yes. gone through more than one of those situations. I, I, I don't even know what my question is sometimes. And I, I always say that when I'm talking to you guys, because it's like, <laughs> it seems so glaringly obvious to me. And I, I feel like I'm, ta I'm, I'm trying to explain to someone, not you, but I mean, like, yeah, I feel yeah. like, like, uh, whenever I have you guys on, I, I'm, I'm trying to explain to an audience or something what one plus two is. And mm -hmm. I'm just like, now it's three. And how you get to three is that you go like this. And it, it's just three. Like, it's, it's plain, painfully obvious. It is. And, and that table of contents. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the brethren are, uh, guilty of all of those things um, with them. I think one of the problems is if you've never come across this kind of control, whether it's in the Brethren or whether it's in any other group, as a person that's been brought up with mental freedom, which hopefully the majority of the population in the world is, it's very hard to understand why somebody would go along with that. And I think that's probably what you're trying to say is that's the hardest thing to get to somebody that's never heard of this group is why on earth do you why do you allow somebody to tell you where you can live? Why, why do you ask permission for who you should marry? Why? What is it that makes you do that? And understanding that mental control, unless you've been subject to it, is actually very, very difficult um, when you have uh, the uh, people that are trying to leave and you bring them into mm, your home, yeah, is there? A, do you have an actual process to sort of de not deprogram them, but to at least expose to them 
that they've been isolated and, and society isn't as scary as you think? Like, is there some sort of process you well, enact? there is and there isn't because usually by the time people get to leave, they've done a fair bit of thinking anyway. So they've done a fair bit of analysis and they've often spoken to either ex-brethren or even people in their workplace who are not brethren and realise that not everybody is wicked and so on. You would rarely get to the point of leaving without having had a few years maybe of a thought process that's probably eaten away at you mentally mm. um, and I think every person that leaves in my opinion their situation is different um, because you've got all of the brethren mental processes that you've got to unpick but then you've also got every person's natural personality as well yeah, And that's something that, you know, you're born with and you live with. So some people will leave and they just want to go wild and they want to see everything and experience everything. And in a sense, you have to let them even just be up there to pick up the pieces if they make mistakes, because they all do. Other people are very cautious, very scared. And that actually is their natural personality. All of them have the brethren stuff to unpick. Mm -hmm. But you've kind of got to gauge the unpicking with it, with how is this person anyway? How would they have been if they've never been brethren, which is quite difficult. And are there, is there an is there an age uh, like a common age or an average age that these, or is it just anyone from like you know eighteen or nineteen or whatever all the way up to sixty? I mean, the the, the the two particular that we had living with us a bit in their twenties, mid twenties, that kind of age frame. But I think the age people leave, as you've seen from ex members you've had on your show, yeah. vary from you know children that perhaps remember a little bit but not an awful lot to you know people in their 60s that suddenly find themselves on the wrong side of the big poo bear and <laughs> find themselves you know out of the and, and it's a complete shock to them so I think the age range is very very varied um, I think the longer you've been in it inevitably the more mental unpicking there is to do mm -hmm. um, yeah yeah and because they, they, I mean, and they're dealing not just with like uh, adjusting to a whole new world, but they're also dealing with adjusting to their loved ones, yeah. completely shunning them. Yeah. And I don't yeah. know, like, what uh, you know, friend of the show, Richard Marsh, um, hasn't seen his kids in so long. And I'm just, I don't know, yeah. like that, that takes enormous strength to try to navigate those waters, right? Like. It does. Um, and I think, you know, it's often a likened to a grieving process, except it isn't a full grieving process because the person hasn't died. They're still alive. But actually, it is a grieving process, but it's a very warped one. Um, and I've been sort of helped, sort of uh, had quite a bit to do with a couple of um, women who have left who have had to say goodbye to all of their children of varying oh, ages as well. Yeah. And they're completely, yeah, on their own. Um, I mean, I've recently become a grandmother, which is wonderful. And oh, I love my little congrats. granddaughter to bits and it's lovely to enjoy her. I have a friend who is ex-brethren whose daughter is the same age as my daughter and has also recently become a grandmother. She hasn't seen her grandchild. She managed to get one photo of her. And me knowing how it feels to become a grandmother for the first time and have this little bundle to think what that person must go through, knowing that they've got grandchildren that you can't enjoy in a normal grandparent way because you can't see your children. Um, that's why that makes me want to fight to get a change because yeah. that's not right. It's just so wrong on every level. Well, as Jesus once said, shun your family and give on to Bruce. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's, that's it. I mean, one, one of my colleagues, um, was actually, I think she'd be happy for me to say this because, uh, she put it publicly. She was sent a message by her 
not by her son, but via the back door in which her son said, I, I do love my mum, but I need to be loyal to Mr. Bruce. Wow. And um, messages like that show the strength of the belief in there. And it's nothing to do with Christianity or Christ. It's a man. As you've yeah, done. no, that's the part that really gets to me a lot because mm. I've I've likened him to Tony Soprano because he yeah. gets paid in stuffed envelopes. Yeah, right? yeah, but seems a little sociopathic to me. Yeah, manipulative yeah. and all that. Um, did you kind of have a secret code in um in leaving where it, it because you left with your whole family? Did you sort of disarm the brethren like they didn't have anything to manipulate you with anymore? Yeah, it was um, it was quite interesting I was put in a position as I mean Cheryl I seem to everybody spoke about living away from home because her parents were shut up and, and that happens a lot in the brethren and I was put in a position my parents and one of my brothers were shut up and I was expected to leave home and I didn't want to so I asked for a little bit of time to think about it and I can still remember the priest you're familiar with what I mean when I say priest um, yeah. you know the elder of the church said to me his yeah. comment to me was don't let the devil in over this and that was his reply the Which, waft of the waft of rye filling the room. Yes, right? yeah, yeah. yeah well, <laughs> if I'd been a bit smarter, there were many answers I could have made to that, but I didn't at the time. Yeah. Um, and as time went by, we just took a collective decision: we weren't going to go back. And wrote, I wrote a letter. This was the days of letters to say that we were not going to go back. Um, that instantly prompted a phone call, and I can remember the priest asking my father to um, if he could speak with me, and I refused because it was a case of. I think others have spoken about how they play mind games and how they can wear you down in these priestly visits. And I just knew that if I had a priestly visit, I'd be worn down and it would just, so I just refused to have it. I just said, no, I'm not seeing them, not speaking to them. I never heard from them again, ever. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. For listeners Ever. that are not really quite aware what a priestly visit means. Thank um, you. <laughs> in, in, in my world, what it means is that um, a couple of dudes show up at your house or one yep. and they sit you down. They're probably half in the bag and they uh, lecture you in a direction that is pro Bruce and pro cult and anti you. Yep. And, um, and they do it in a lecturing way so that you'll feel guilty. Yeah. Um, sometimes I've heard, I've heard of situations where if a, if a young girl uh, says that she was assaulted, uh, sexually assaulted or mm -hmm. physically assaulted by somebody the job of the priestly visit then will they'll come in and they'll basically convince her that um maybe it was her fault or yeah. you know uh, you know uh, it's not good for the uh for the church for you to be talking like this and yeah. basically every trope that you can think of to try to protect the guilty and make the innocent feel even more isolated 
Yeah. And that would have been the purpose of a, um, a the, or the, the police visits, the colloquial term the brethren used, um, but it's a visit by two men and it would always be men. And if I'd had one, it would have been two men and me in the room on my own. I wouldn't have been allowed to have my parents in and they wear you down. But they wear you down um, anyway. Anyone that's, I think all of the people you've spoken to on the show would agree that the purpose of a priestly visit, you're there on your own, you have no representation, you're mentally mixed up anyway, all over the place, and they wear you down. Um, yeah. That's why I wouldn't have it. I just <laughs> refused yeah. not to go there. Um, okay, so I want to go back to something that yep. is from, I think it's from 2014. Yeah, 2014. Yep. So yep. this is the Charity Commission for England and Wales. Yep. Preston Down Trust application for registration of the Preston Down Trust decision of the commission. This is basically talking about the charitable status of organizations and how you can attain it, basically, yep. and what you can't do. So here's a section that stuck out for me <clears throat> in the context of the brethren. So it says the Charities Act in 2006 provided that to be charitable, a body must be established for a purpose of falling within the descriptions of purposes set out in the 2006 Act and must meet the public benefit requirement. Public benefit was defined by reference in case law as currently understood, except that no purpose falling within the description of purpose was to be presumed to be for the public benefit. The raised considerable doubt, this raised considerable doubt about how the law on public benefit should be applied in relation to certain charitable purposes. Now, to translate that out of legalese and into mm -hmm. layman English, this is basically saying, you know, if you want to be a charitable status, you basically have to be a charity. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, to show um, public benefit. That's yeah. right. What was, you had a, a small role in in this, and and you were kind of you, you're pretty intimately, um, uh, at least knowledgeable about that report and mm. and sort of the ancillary yeah. things that happen around it. Can you give me an idea of what your role was, and 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 you know what what you what role you played in basically uh, convincing, trying to convince people that the brethren were not exactly a charity? Yeah, so um, I'll try and give a brief synopsis to that scenario as best I can. Um, one particular Gospel Hall Trust in the UK reapplied for their charitable status, which they have to do every five years, and it was turned down because they were not there for public benefit. And this was off the back of that change in the law that you have to demonstrate public benefit. Um, this provoked quite an outcry from the brethren. Um, they visited every MP in the country, I think, to say religious persecution, so on and so forth. Um, the charity commission sat on the fence and then set about getting a lot of evidence. It wasn't only that they weren't there for public benefit, it was also that a lot of their practices caused harm to people. And the charity commission then went ahead and got evidence of the harm caused. And a lot of ex-brethren wrote into the charity commission telling their stories about how their families were split, about suicides that had happened um, and so on, um, and the harm it had caused, the psychological harm. The whole thing was due to go to the High Court. At that point, it was only against two Brethren Gospel Hall Trusts, the Preston Down Trust and Horsham Trusts. And it was due to go to the High Court for it to be heard in front of a High Court judge, whether the Brethren not only were there for public benefit, but whether the harm they caused with their beliefs outweighed any public benefit. And it was literally the day before on the doorsteps of the court, they reached a settlement. And the settlement was that every Gospel Hall Trust in the UK adopted a deed of variation that explained how the brethren saw their practices working out, you know, their religion working out, their beliefs working out in practice. And this has become known as the Faith in Practice document, which is the deed of variation, which is attached at the end of the, that sort of full report um, about the Charity Commission. 
And in it, they say things like um, if a person seeks to leave the community, um, the brethren will assist them, reason reasonably assist them if they're being dependent on the community financially and so on. They say things like every every effort will be made um, for families. I can't remember the actual wording, so I'm not quoting it verbatim, but for families to be kept in touch, especially where children are concerned. And if you read it, you think, yeah, this is fine. These, the, you know, the, yeah. this is okay. They've got their beliefs. They believe in separation, but they're actually okay. From the ex-members, we, we were hopeful as ex-members at that point in 2014, that this could just be a different, make a difference. For the first time, there was some sort of regulation to which the brethren should be accountable. Um, and we hoped it would make a difference. We'd start to be able to see families, um, albeit they still go to their church, just to some sense of normality. And it did not make a jot of difference, not at all. And so the, the thing that gets me is that it, it normally if you if there's like a, a, a decision that a high court is making or that the government is making or on a piece of legislation, and they and they ask you uh, and they ask like for you to put in your um I don't know what what mm. you would call it like testimony or whatever on behalf yeah, of the witness statements we all put in right yeah it seems like they they were just allowed to write what they thought the government wanted to hear without actually producing any evidence that that's how they did it in yeah. practice yeah so is that they another did... freedom of religion thing where you don't actually have to prove the things that you're well saying? they that the charity commission did follow up on it they monitored the Preston Down Hall Trust for a period of time and then produced a subsequent report basically closing the case in 2016 saying that it's all fine. And the reason they said that is because um, around about 2013-14 the Brethren set up a charity called the Rapid Relief Team um, which we can talk about in some detail but they're we, worldwide. We have, we have that in Canada too. They go yeah, and they wash cars and stuff. That's, yeah. And give burgers to people and they have wonderful yeah. marketing and everything else That's right. um they set up that so they said that was for public benefit and there was no particular case relating to that one gospel hall trust in that monitoring period where a family had been split up so it might have been happening in other trusts but because the charity commission were only monitoring the trust that you know they'd turn the status down um it's it's legally the other thing that doesn't help is the report these faith and practice says it's left up to each individual member. It's nothing to do with the church. It's each individual member's decision how much contact they have with their family. So in theory, if somebody's children in the Brethren wanted to contact their parent out, they could. The church, the church isn't stopping them. But what they don't take into account yeah. is the control those kids have on their minds. They're never going to contact their parents. So the coercive bit is like you know, the church will say, well, of course, anybody can contact their parents. We're not stopping them. But those did kids one, have been conditioned. Did the one locality or whatever you want to call it yeah. that was being monitored? Did they did they know they were being monitored? Oh yeah, I'm sure they knew they'd be monitored. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I rest my case. Yeah, that's like giving someone <laughs> yeah. the answers to the exam. Be like, yeah. no, don't use the yeah. answers, Timmy. Yeah. You know, just, like, just have two be... years of being good, and we'll just pass you. You know. Yeah. yeah. But meanwhile, there's all this horrible things going on in all these yeah. other localities. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, in Canada, what what to do about the brethren when i say that i mean i don't know what to do what to do with information like this is our former prime yeah. minister swearing on a plymouth bible i think is crazy this yes. is in 2011 everyone that occupied the vip front row seat are all powerful members of the plymouth mm -hmm. brethren in the united states and one one i think in canada and um we have a new um uh candidate in on our in our conservative party up mm -hmm. here 
Um, his name is Pierre Polyev. I have one file photo of him. Mm-hmm. It's right there. Right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. But really, this is like, but, but this is what's happening. You know, th- this yeah. is his Easter promo. It's Christ is risen. Happy Easter. And then goofy looking yeah. Pierre sitting there um, <clears throat> completely trying to, you know, um, capture the, the religious vote, I guess. But there are connections in the sense that like he's worked with people uh, who are heavily connected to the brethren. And we all just kind of know that there is intermingling. Mm-hmm. I am wondering what the UK has done, if anything, to sort of um, call out the politicians who have relationships with brethren. Um, not a lot, I think, would probably be the answer to that. We have mm-hmm. um, certainly there are some politicians that are aware. The problem we've been up against in the UK, particularly over the charity commissions um, issues that the Brethren have had, when their charity charitable status was potentially threatened, which I don't think has particularly happened in Canada or the States or Australia, it's, it might be happening in New Zealand at present um, due to work of ex-members there. When they were, had, had a problem, it appears Bruce Hale said to every member of the Brethren, go and visit your MP. So the MPs were inundated with these very plausible, very nice, very disturbed people that were being persecuted. Their minority religion was being persecuted. Um, in fact, one, she, she was a peer in the House of Lords at the time, told me the level of lobbying was unprecedented. She'd never seen anything like it. So a lot of the MPs, with respect to them at the time, I think were probably hoodwinked by the plausibility of this group that's being picked on without knowing, yeah, the MPs are getting tricked, somebody's put that comment and that's actually true, without actually knowing what goes on behind the scenes, without realising the damage this group has caused. I can remember we visited our MP in 2014-15 and we were with a lever who was living with us at the time and We know for a fact he's retired now that he'd been visited by the Brethren. We even know which members of the Brethren visited them. And we know that they had got him on side with the charitable thing. And we had a meeting with him and we explained and he listened, but he appeared a little bit disinterested until my husband said when he left, he did not see or speak to his parents for 27 years. And I remember at that point, his face shot up and he went red. So he had no idea that this sort of thing was happening. Well, So I think they don't realise it, it needs almost lobbying from the other part. But of course, the brethren have the, you know, Bruce Hale says jump, the brethren say how high. You can't do that to people out here. All you can do is just say you can visit your MP. It's up to them to decide whether they want to. You know, it's it's. Yeah, we had that happen in Canada. So I'm, I'm having a guest on tomorrow who's another ex-member. Mm. Uh, and he... Um, tells me that when the gay marriage issue was happening mm. in Canada, that um, the brethren, many of them were or, like as young as, he, I think he said he was 16, um, to bombard uh, MPs with like thousands and thousands yep. of faxes. He said that he remembered, I think it was his aunt or his grandma or someone, um, every time that she would send a new fax, she would just slightly change the name a little bit. And so yep. they were basically creating a, like a fraudulent petition yeah. to try to get MPs to vote against gay marriage um, yeah. because they're really inclusive and charitable. Um, yeah. But but when we look at that, that, that they have such a common, consistent way of operating, whether it's New Zealand or the UK or Canada or Australia. And, and it is to sort of like turn their um, isolated flock into an army of political power. Yeah. 
and, and, and sort of tricking the political system into thinking that they uh, represent a bigger swath of people than they really do by, by basically fraudulently, like one person would be good for like, you know, 50 petition letters yeah. because yeah. they would just keep on putting fake names on it. Um, yeah. I, I don't know how to, how to combat that, but except to expose it as much as I can. I think, yeah, yeah. <laughs> expose but, it. <laughs> yeah. But this is, um, this is because of this man. Now, yeah. I, I don't think it should be understated. I, every time I have an ex-member on, I'm going to put this man's face up because mm. this is Bruce Hales. Mm. He is the present-day leader of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. Um, he is also uh, considered, and he claims to be, uh, basically a present-day deity who has a direct link to be able to speak with Jesus and not in the existential spiritual way, but literally Jesus gives him advice on, on things that are like tangible only here, um, which is obviously batshit and obviously mm -hmm. a ploy, mm -hmm. obviously a ploy to be able to control and coerce the people that are in his group, that people that, and, and these are people that were born. Like, I don't know what it would be like. And I, and I often try to find a way to like, at least identify with what it would be like to be told from the day that you're born that this man is Jesus's consigliere down here on earth. And, you know, basically when you're in his presence, you're in, you're in the presence of the Lord in a sense. Mm. It's, I mean, and my day, the man of God was Mr. Symington, who I think you've, and, and although I think there's a lot of ethos in the brethren that's changed businesses, finance, and so on, the ethos of this man of God principle was just the same. And I had that, I suppose, from the age of 15, 16 onwards, I can remember thinking, how can somebody who is as human as I am be Jesus? And how can somebody almost, you know, if you talk about your meetings and the, they would talk more about the man of God than they would about um, Jesus or Christ or, you know, the things that you, a normal church service would um, talk about. And it's very hard to explain, yeah, for many years, you actually believe that. But there's the fear element. It's not the fear of doing something wrong, whatever your religious beliefs are. It's not the fear of doing something wrong that, in a Christian belief, it's the fear of doing something wrong that Bruce might not approve of, or whoever the current man of God is. That That is the real fear. Yeah, I think it was Richard Marsh that told me that it wasn't... Mm terribly common to hear a joke at Jesus's expense, but it happened yeah. here and there, but you would never yeah. hear a joke at Bruce Hale's expense. No, no. Yeah. That, that, I remember yeah. him saying that and that, that's probably true. Yeah. yeah. I guess Symington, um, if someone were to say, well, well, you know, are you the, are you a present day deity? And be like, yes, my child. Well, mm. why did you lose both your legs? And he'd be like, mm. I work in mysterious ways. <laughs> like, the the answer to that one, cause I remember saying yeah. this, that the, the re I, I, and he was a very ill man latterly um, before he died. I think he had diabetes and he had all the complications that went along with that. Mm. Um, and I remember being told, well, the reason is that, he, you know, he shouldn't have, but he's suffering for the saints cause he's bearing all the burdens of our sins in the same way Jesus did. And I can remember being told that as a child. That's why he's so ill. Yeah. You know, and looking back on it, it's laughable. But at the time, you're thinking, oh, my goodness. Oh, dear. If I'd done that to Mr. Symington, I must be an awful person. It's how you feel as a child. Maybe the burden of uh, hiding $20 million in cash in your basement really, <laughs> yeah. really weighed on Played him. on his conscience a little bit. Who'd yeah, like exactly. to think so? <laughs> yeah. Um, so is there anything happening right now in the UK as far as charitable status goes? Is, is that fight happening again or no? It's, not right now. It, it, not really. I mean, the, the biggest problem is there's lots of incidences where we believe 
though that deed of variation has been breached um I, I can think of lots you know children are taken away from their parents when the par and this is all since the deed of variation has been adopted by all the gospel hall trusts children are taken away from their parents husbands and wives are split up um and so on every time you report what i would perceive or anyone else would perceive as a breach of this deed of variation, you get a sort of stock reply that says, thank you very much for raising your concerns. The Charity Commission will keep it on file, but at this time, we're not going to investigate. But wow. I work on the belief that the more reports that go in, you would hope eventually a picture might get built eventually. At least at least the stuff is then logged. Um, I mean, there's, there's been some pretty horrendous tales where I've had to help. Uh, one particular one springs to mind of a mother who had four children and she managed to keep custody of her youngest, but the three eldest were more or less taken off her um, in a very mm. deviant manner and, and so on. And somehow this all seems OK. They don't, it's, you know, you know, it's everybody's choice. That the children don't want to see their mother. And that's what yeah. I find frustrating. Nobody's listening. Yeah, I'm, I'll never get over listening to people tell that stuff because I, you know, obviously yeah. I put myself in that situation and yeah. wonder what it would be like. And sure, once in a while it'd be nice if the kids didn't talk, but you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. most of the time I want, yeah. I want them around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and when they're asleep, they're quite cute, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, or when they're really you know, um, listen, the uh, I didn't realize that levers was a word, and mm. it gave me an idea for a book title for you in case you ever write a book levers of power you yeah. know a story of triumphantly That's, leaving the brethren yeah. church yeah you're welcome for the dad joke pun um <laughs> but, yeah. yeah but it is really inspiring um to tell you the truth i when i heard about your story and i heard what you did after you left and how you help others that are trying to leave i think that you are a great example of what people can do when they leave in order to like harness mm. you know some sort of um power or altruism or whatever you want to call yeah. it to help others and i think you should be commended for that so thank I'm, you. you know thank you for that yeah go ahead i think the um the, the one of the problems with um people that try to leave particularly when they're younger and, and i'm talking sort of maybe 20s or something mm -hmm. is in fact i was talking to a recent leaver a couple of nights ago and through your life you've never had to do anything so you've never had to worry about applying for a job because a job is found to you. You never had to worry about what salary you'd get paid because you've been paid a good salary. And suddenly you're thrown out and you realize jobs don't always work out. And actually the salaries aren't as good. And it's actually about managing their expectations um, and saying, you know, it can be tough out here. It can be darn tough, very tough. But actually, yeah. there is no price you can put on the freedom to make your own choice, even if you make the wrong one sometimes. That's OK. But there's no price to have that freedom. Well, listen, I think that you exemplify all of that and more, and um, I would love to have you back. And Thank I know you, that, uh, you know, our time difference was sorted out and, you know, no kid came upstairs screaming. Yeah, exactly. Or bleeding, so. Yeah. Nobody walked That's in the office. Well, thank you very much. Okay. Jackie Hart. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And um, yeah, I want to uh, end this by showing Bruce Hale's photo again. This man is a criminal. This man is the leader of a worldwide cult that isolates people, that separates people from their family, that uh, makes billions of dollars uh, through all of the different corporations and companies that are owned by the cult. And his name is Bruce Hales again. And I think we need to make this person as famous as possible because uh, while he is famous within the community, um, a lot of the times that people uh, who have problems with the brethren will focus on the locality 
Um, when I say locality, I mean the specific branch in a specific country or province or whatever. And really, all of the attention should be put on this man. This is the Tony Soprano of present-day cults. He gets paid in stuffed envelopes of cash that flown from all around the world. I'm laughing because of how absurd it is. And uh, yeah, Bruce Hales. I think uh, I think 2022, 2023 is not going to be a comfortable year for you. Or at least I hope that it isn't. And tomorrow, uh, I'm going to leave the the name of the guest out for now. But he's a gentleman who uh, also is an ex-member of the Plymouth Brethren. And he has a very wild and really sad story to tell. Uh, it's also very unique. And um, it, it centers around abuse. It centers around... I gave it away a little bit today about the, the gay marriage false petition thing. Um, <clears throat> but there's, uh, there's so much more to tell about that. And so that will be tomorrow at 7 o'clock. And until then, we will see you next time on Black Ball. Thanks, everybody. Black Ball. Black, black, black Ball. Black Ball. Black, black, black Ball. Black, 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 Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Do, did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.